Good morning, church family. Good to see you guys today. Good to see you. Always good to have the kids in here. That's actually just our four and five-year-olds. So there, there's 3,000 four and five-year-olds. And, uh, and then we've got all the rest of the kids too. So if there's one thing that we know how to do in Cabot, it is have kids. There's more than one way to grow church, people. Come on, amen. But it, it, was, it becomes very clear when we do those types of things. You never know what kids are going to do when you bring them on stage. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, and you can tell some of the kids were not into it. Uh, as much as maybe other kids. You can also tell whose parents have rhythm and whose do not. <laughs> There's like a couple of those kids, like a couple of them, they're out here with their hips going, the whole thing, you know? A couple of kids are like, uh, uh, uh. so I need y'all to work on your kids, make, make sure they look cool when they're up here on stage. They can at least clap their hands, but... Next week, we're going to, it's Easter next week. If, if you didn't know that, we've tried to make it abundantly clear, but if you, if you forgot, um, that is next week, and and it's going to be a good time. I do want to point out in, uh, in every other chair out uh, where you guys are at, uh, we have an index card and we have another invitation. And so uh, I know that you've probably uh, been aware of those things. Uh, I want to encourage you to take that invitation card and take it to someone that doesn't have a home church, invite them to come to church. But last week, we also had this index card where we asked everyone to write down a name that they were going to be praying about, that they were going to personally go and invite to come to one of our Easter services. And so we, we had a bunch of people out last week because spring break had started. And I know there's some of you that didn't have that opportunity. We want to make sure that you had that. And so if you would, uh, please write down a name on one of those cards. And, and after service, we've got these boxes that are back here mounted on the walls and out in the hallways. Uh, if you can just drop those in there. And w- what I've agreed to do is to, to lift every one of those names up in prayer. And, and believe with you that they would be able to come on Easter uh, to one of our services and hear the message of Jesus Christ. And so uh, I'd appreciate you doing that. So, so this week is actually, it's Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday. So that's one of the reasons why we had the kids come out and do their thing, because we always try to do something with the kids on Palm Sunday. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But I have a question I want to pose to you, and that is this. How is your eyesight? How is your eyesight? And this was amazing, the first service. I couldn't believe this, but I want to survey you guys as well. How many of you have to have contacts or glasses to be able to see? Okay. Like, I think we need to check the water. Because uh, that, okay, so because it's easier to see. How many of you do not have to have glasses or contacts? Okay, you've got good eyesight. Man, there's just not very many of us at all that, that can see without some sort of apparatus. Uh, but I'm not actually talking specifically about your physical eyesight. I think there's a, nif- a different kind of eyesight that is much more important f- for you to have to be strong and to be healthy. But how many of you have ever thought that you had seen something and you were just confident that you saw it a certain way and then it turns out that you did not see it accurately at all? Has that ever happened to anybody? Okay. Uh, it happens to every husband and that's why we're wrong so much. Clearly, we just didn't see it correctly. And, uh, and, and, but uh, there was a story of, of a family. Uh, my understanding, this is an Arkansas family. And they had uh, several kids, and, and the mom was really frustrated because the kids had started waking up with a lot of mosquito bites. And they couldn't figure out where these mosquitoes are coming from, how they're getting in the house. 
And so she's very frustrated. So she, she decided one night she's just going to try to bring some relief to the kids so that they could sleep. Because, you know, you got mosquitoes buzzing around you when you're trying to fall asleep and you already have mosquito bites. And so you just, your skin's crawling, you're itchy everywhere. And this that buzzing noise around your ears, around your face, it's hard to sleep. And so she decided that she was going to try to help them to be able to sleep well. So she made sure first that all the lights were off in the house because the bugs are attracted to the lights. She tried to make sure all of the windows were closed and all that type of thing so they weren't getting in. And then once the kids had fallen asleep, she, she went into uh, a little storage closet and she got out a can of bug spray. And she took it into the room and she was just kind of, kind of, you know, just just little deet spurts in there, just kind of a little, just misted on all over the place a little bit to try to help the bugs to stay away from the kids so the kids would get a good night's rest. And of course, kids need a good night's rest. Otherwise, it drives their parents crazy. And so she does that and she just leaves the room, goes back to her room. And early in the morning, early in the morning, she's awoken to these blood-curdling screams coming from the kids' rooms. And so she gets up, runs across the house and barges through the door. And in the rooms... All of the room, the kids, the walls are covered in blue spray paint because she had accidentally grabbed a can of spray paint instead of bug spray and had covered the kids, the walls, the beds, the floor, everything with blue spray paint, which probably worked to keep the bugs away as well, but certainly not what she intended to do. And so she clearly did not see what she thought that she saw in that store's closet and grab the wrong thing. Well, the same thing I think can happen to us as well. And I, think, and I think that history will show, the Bible will show that as a whole, there are many times that we have had in our lives and throughout history, poor eyesight. And I think on Palm Sunday was another one of those times when we as humans, we as people on the whole, we had pretty bad eyesight. So let me set up the context of what's happening. Palm Sunday, Right before Palm Sunday, uh, Jesus had le- left, uh, left uh, Zacchaeus' house, okay, the wee little man, and, uh, and he gave him the parable of the Minas, which is a parable about how we use our time and being wise and, and, and fruitful with the time that God's given us. And, and now he is on his way um, towards Jerusalem. Before he gets to Jerusalem, he stops outside. He tells his disciples, two of his disciples, hey, I need you to go in, find this colt that's tied up at this barn, and, and take the, the donkey. And they're like, uh, can we just take the donkey? And he's like, yeah. And if they ask, just say the Lord needs it and they're going to be cool with it, which apparently it worked out. And so they went and got this donkey, brought it back out to Jesus. And that was all to fulfill prophecy that the Messiah would come into the city of David or into Jerusalem riding on a colt. And so here's Jesus. He's riding onto this colt. And there's a large crowd of people that have been kind of following him. But there's a large crowd of people inside of Jerusalem who did not know who Jesus was, had not been around his ministry, but had heard that the Messiah was coming. And so we pick up that story with these people with this expectation of someone that they were going to see, this person that they had heard about, read about, that was going to be coming now into the city. So we pick up in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 36. It says, as they went along, people spread their cloaks out on the road. Okay, so this is a big deal. That was actually something that would show tremendous amounts of honor. You would do that for rulers. You would do that for kings. And so they're doing this, and people are literally taking the shirts off their backs and laying in front of Jesus. So as he's walking in on this donkey, he's walking on their clothes as he's coming through the streets. When they came near the place where the road goes down to Mount to Mount of Olives, uh, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. 
peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Okay, so, so they're praising God. Many of them are praising God. Now, some of them are not praising God. There's a group of people that are there that are not interested in praising God. They don't like what's going on at all. Most of them are the religious leaders, the Pharisees. And the interesting thing was, every person in the Jewish culture, as soon as they're old enough to understand, they begin to learn the scriptures, uh, specifically the prophets. And, and they, are, are, they are schooled in these things. And so everyone understands the prophets. Everyone understands everything that the scriptures have said, the things that are going to come. And so what they're seeing should be something that would encourage them, something that they would recognize, something that they would want to see. Whether they understood the context of it or not, they would want to see this because it was all prophesied. But these guys think that Jesus is fake, that he's just, he's just someone that's coming along because a lot of people were coming along during that time saying that they were the Messiah, that they were the ruler. There were a lot of false prophets that were existing. And so the religious leaders were in this mindset where not only because of those things that happened, but because they didn't like how Jesus was doing work. They didn't like the ministry that Jesus was doing because it was going to take control and power away from them. So they certainly were not praising Jesus at this point because Jesus did not look anything like what they expected to find when their Messiah would come. And many people were in the same place because many people expected that when the Messiah would come, that Messiah was going to come and deliver them away from the oppressive rule of the Romans. That They were going to come as this mighty military power and come in and set things right, set them all free, make everything great in the land again and get rid of, of, of the Romans. And because Jesus wasn't coming that way. They didn't see him for who he was. They had very poor vision as to exactly who Jesus was. Not only did Jesus not come as this ruling king, he came as the opposite. He came as someone who served. And so there's a lot of people that are having a difficult time accepting that who Jesus says that he was, was actually who he was. And if, and if it was, it just, he didn't look like what they wanted to see. It didn't look anything like what they wanted to happen in their lives. And because of that, they may have even been laying down palm branches. They may have even laying down their cloaks, but as they're praising God, because they've never even seen Jesus, in the midst of all of that, they're doing that, and then they're looking around. Like, where is he? Where's this mighty king? Because the guy that we're expecting, the guy that we want to see, the guy that, that fits the context of what we think our needs are and our desires are, he's going to come in like this mighty king. So he's going to have this great caravan. He's going to have this army. He's going to be like carried in on, like on people's shoulders in this huge chair. That's what we're looking for. So in the midst of all that, there goes Jesus. Just walking on by. And so I think in, in, in some respects, they have what I would call drive-by vision. Which is something I think that we struggle with as a culture. Where things just kind of go by us and we don't even notice what's right in front of us. I think there's, there's a chance that this drive-by mentality, this drive-by vision can happen even around the, the word of God. I think that we can get to a place where there's some drive-by verses that we have. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God works together for good. All those who, who believe in Jesus and are called according to his purpose. Even John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. 
Like, we all can quote these verses, even if we weren't raised in church, we know these things. But sometimes those become these drive-by verses where we know them, but we forgot about what they mean. And so, so we're just accustomed to saying these things, and we can know them, but we've forgotten the power of them. Because when it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and any of us that have kids know that we'd never want to see our kids suffer. We certainly wouldn't want to see our kids die, but that Jesus esteemed us higher than he esteemed his own son. And because he loved us so much, he put his son in our place to receive our suffering and our punishment and our death. That is love and it's powerful. And when it says he works everything for good, everything, everything for good, for those who love Jesus are called according to his purpose. That is powerful because not everything is ever gonna feel good. In fact, it's gonna feel horrible. It's gonna feel painful. It's gonna be difficult. But what's so powerful about that is we know that we serve a God who is above time and space, who's outside of situation and circumstance, who's above and beyond any diagnosis. And no matter what is said or what we feel or what we're going through, the outcome is always our good. But we can always, we can forget. And it's a drive-by verse. Something we throw out on social media. Hey, just don't forget what it says. Throwing one up for you. Here's a verse. And forget the power. And Jesus is passing by. Literally a donkey drive by. And people are completely missing it. Not seeing it for what it really is. What is Jesus trying to do? What is he trying to accomplish? Because they believe something else. They wanted something different than what was right in front of them. And so they were missing it. John talked about this happening in people's lives and people's hearts. And I think this is a good exhortation and warning for us too. In John 12, 36 says, all these God signs he had given them to them so that they, but they still didn't get it. Still wouldn't trust him. First, they wouldn't believe. And then they couldn't. Their eyes are blinded and their hearts are hardened because they couldn't see who Jesus really was especially the Pharisees. That religious heart and mindset, that desire to have control, to have power, ultimately feeling like you have the control and power that if you do enough good things, that's what saves you. And when you're in that place, you miss Jesus, your heart will get hardened. Walking through town is Jesus, but they're looking over their shoulders like, so where's the real king? Where's the real king? It's easy for us to call them out, right? In our context, we're looking back, it's like, idiots? 
How did they not see what was right in front of them? But how many times in our day-to-day lives is Jesus right there working, moving, trying to show us something, and we miss it? We miss it. Why? Because he doesn't fit the context that we want him to fit. He doesn't look like what we wanted him to look. The outcome is not what we had planned. That isn't what we wanted to hear. And so we miss him. The Pharisees were in this place in verse 39 of chapter 19. It says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Quiet them down. This is too much. Simmer down now. They didn't like the fact that People were excited and worshiping somebody that did not fit the context of what they wanted him to fit. I believe that we can have the same problem now. That today, on this Palm Sunday, I think that there could be an issue with our eyesight. What can we see? Can we see Jesus and who he really is, or is it just another drive-by Sunday? I think some of us are farsighted. Some of us are farsighted. And what I mean by that, this is is very much where the religious leaders were at. Uh, This is a kind of a control mindset. And I think any of us can fall into this where we're just focused on the wrong things. And and we believe that when you're in this place, you will feel like you are the center of the universe. And so everything that you are trying to control is revolving around you, but it throws off your center of gravity and you will have no balance. If you think about the times in your life that things were the most chaotic and the most out of control, I can guarantee it was always in those seasons of life when you thought that you were at the center of your universe. When you were in that place where you thought you had the control, like I've got this. And so in different areas of our lives, we try to do this around our finances. Oh, I'm going to control this and I'm going to make this work the way I want it to work. To set up security for myself and for my kids. We do it relationally. We don't trust God. We want things to happen our way and in our timing. And we, we kind of fall prey to the temptation and the perpetuation that happens through social media. So we're on there and we're letting that kind of dictate like hashtag relationship goals. Oh man, that is perfect. Look at them. Those are all fake. They don't exist. There is no perfect relationship. But we think, man, I've got this. I'm going to set everything up to where everything's perfect. But you're at the center. God isn't at the center. We do this with our time. We do this with our schedule. Like, man, if... I can just pack it in. Let's pack it in. Make sure it's busy. My kids are going over here and going over there. And I'm going over here and volunteering here and doing this and doing that. I forgot all this and I'm controlling it. Then I'll be happy. And you're going to be cray cray. You won't find peace. You won't find peace. You're far sighted. And so it blurs what's right in front of you that's most important. Striving. 
and missing. Missing what's right in front of you. You know why people couldn't see Jesus? Because Jesus didn't come to rule over people. He came to serve people. It says in Philippians 2, 7, of his own free will, he gave up all that he had and took the nature of a servant. Another translation said he made himself nothing and became the very nature of a servant. So I want us to press pause here right now because if we're talking about getting the right focus, we're talking about getting the right vision, we don't want to be farsighted. We want Jesus to be at the center. Then we have to understand the nature of who Jesus is. And it says that Jesus didn't come to have control over people, that he came to serve people. See, the kingdom of God is an upside down triangle. In the world, it operates. If you're at the top, you're at the pinnacle and you got this. But in the world, but according to the kingdom, you turn that triangle upside down. And so you serve everything that is above you. And that's what Jesus came to do, even though he was the creator of the universe. He came and he served, and he served. But the problem is our culture has a poor context of serving. Go on to Google. Do a Google search and punch in the word serving, okay? You know anytime you start punching in words on, on Google, it gives you the top recommendations of what the, 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 the top searches that people have done. And it'll give you those words, so you just click on that and it makes it easier. If you type in the word serving on Google, the word that it comes up, its first recommendation of searches that people are looking for, when it comes to the word serving, it brings up the word size. Serving size. We may have an issue as a culture. You know what serve.com is? Serve.com is a website for an American Express credit card. And so I think part of the problem is we as a culture like have no idea what serving is. And those are cheesy examples, but I think at the heart of it, it's like, oh, no, everything serves me. Everything serves me. <laughs> What's this? Me serving others. What's this others before myself? But if we can't understand that, then it's hard to get the vision correct. To serve, you have to surrender control. You can't be the boss. You have to be willing to be the least. You have to be willing to humble yourself. John 12, 25 says, anyone who holds on to life just as it is destroys that life. But if you let it go reckless in your love, then you'll have it forever real and eternal. If any of you wants to serve me, then follow me. For Jesus, serving and following work together. They were synonymous. And these days, though, it's like, I, don't think, I don't think we live in a culture where we're very interested in, in following. Unless it's social media. Then we're all talking all about following. Who you follow? You following so-and-so? You following so-and-so? Oh, I love following that person. They're awesome to follow. It's like the Kardashians. I don't know how many there are, but it seems like they're replicating. Like there's, somebody is cloning Kardashians because it just seems like there's just more and more of them. And, and, but they, they have more social media followers, okay? And I wonder why. 
What is it about their character and who they are that people are like, I just want to be like them? (laughs) Or maybe it's because it's so unbalanced that we look at it because it's entertaining. But it should break our hearts. But I think some of it's just because we fall into the cultural norm of consumerism. Uh, Whatever serves us. Whatever serves us. So if their post serves us and makes us feel better about how we're living and our lifestyle, whatever it is, then it serves me. It's amazing, though, because these, that family actually have a tremendous amount of influence. One, one of the girls, I don't know which one, but, it, but just like on one of her posts, just briefly mentioned that she doesn't really use Snapchat as much anymore. The market value of Snapchat the very next day dropped $1.5 billion dollars. I'm not saying it's all contributed to what she said, but there's a really good chance a lot of it was. Like, oh, oh, they're not doing, well, I'm just, yeah, Snapchat, oh. <laughs> you were just doing, yeah, but is the last time. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, he is way too good at that. Following doesn't mean today what it did then. What Jesus thinks about following, serving, it went hand in hand. And I'm not necessarily talking about serving in the context of like the people that that greet at the doors, although they are serving, and I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for the people that open doors and help people find parking spots and make coffee and and are changing your kids' diapers and and giving your kids the word of God back in kid life and little life. Like, I'm thankful for those people. You can start clapping at any point, but just at any point, like, I'm thankful for the people that serve around here. But but I I think a, a stronger perspective and context of of the word serving would be when we say something like servicemen and women. Because when I mention that, we're usually talking about military and fire and rescue and law enforcement and first responders and these people that continually put their lives on the line for other people who without hesitation, they serve and they sacrifice and they don't do it for themselves. They don't do it for themselves. They do it because they're a part of something bigger. And the thing is, if they chose not to do that, if they didn't do that, it's a matter of life and death. But they count the cost every single day. And I think the reason why we as Christians admire them so much and have so much respect and honor for them is because, really, they are a reflection of the character of Christ. And so as Christians, it's easier for us to say, yeah, we know what it means. We know what it means. We understand sacrifice. Like what they're doing is similar to what my Savior did, or at least that's the mindset we should have. Like what does it really mean to serve? It means you are willing to put yourself completely aside for someone else's good to build someone else up, to lift someone else up. Jesus didn't come to be served, but he put his life on the line and he sacrificed for us. And when we understand what it means to be a follower of Christ, 
It means that we understand it's to serve. And it is only in that place and in that posture that our vision can become clearer. When we surrender, we say, I, I don't, I'm not the sinner. This isn't about me and my control. It's about me doing the will of God. But a lot of us do love to be served. I know that I do. But being served is a nearsighted mentality. I think a lot of the people that are along that road on Palm Sunday, they knew who Jesus were, was and they were excited about who Jesus was because they loved the miracles. Like, man, this is awesome. I mean, we've been hanging out with this guy and like, he hooked my cousin up because he had this weird thing growing on his foot and Jesus, now it's normal foot and I had another friend that couldn't see very well at all. So I was running into stuff, running in walls and Jesus touched him and now, you know, he sees too good, realizes his wife is really not as pretty as she thought she was. But, but then, but then he delivered her of all of her demons. So now they're getting along good again. And, but they were just, I love how Jesus serves us. I love how he just keeps doing all this cool stuff for us. And we have this mindset, right? We are a consumer-based culture. We like to be served. So everything is structured around us being served. Everything is structured around it. You got Yelp, right? You go on Yelp, put these nasty, salty remarks about some hot uh, restaurant how you didn't like what they're doing, you're so mad, and they did this, and they did this, and the food is this. And then, Here's the thing, though. Most of you people that like put stuff on there, when your waiter or waitress comes by your table, says, how is everything? Oh, great. It's just great. Bunch of passive, aggressive, mean people. I'll tell you that right now. But everything's formulated around, I should be getting my way. Amazon. Amazon Prime. How many of y'all love you some Amazon Prime, okay? Man, you can spend money like it's going out of style. You just click a couple buttons. It's coming, baby. It's going to be there the next day. But do you know what demonstrates a consumer mentality more than everything that you buy on Amazon? It's the consumer reviews on Amazon. I would encourage you, do yourself a favor. Go and read some consumer reviews on some of the products on Amazon sometime, you will laugh harder than you have ever laughed in your life. It is some of the funniest stuff. And I found a couple of these reviews for a couple products that, granted, I would never buy, but the people that would buy them, it's the reason why the comments are so funny. And so I want to put a couple of these up. Here's the first one. Uh, This is a UFO detector. Uh, (laughs) Clearly. And this is the comment. I don't know if this is a scam or if mine's broken, but it doesn't work, and I'm still getting abducted by UFOs on a regular basis. <laughs> An actual consumer review comment on that product. Okay, it's a dietary supplement made out of seaweed. Amazing. I gave this to my cat, cured him of autism. <laughs> also, since eating this product with a meal three times a day, no more house ghost. So which only a cat person would have house ghosts. So, you know, it goes together. 
Unfortunately, I already had this exact picture tattooed on my chest, but this shirt is very useful in colder weather. Uh, okay, there was another comment. I hesitated saying this, but I'll do another comment. This lady said, this shirt got me pregnant on four different occasions. <laughs> oh. <laughs> God, please don't let that person be from Arkansas. There's a chance. <laughs> Consumer reviews of sugar-free gummy bears. Okay, so here's the thing. You know anytime it says sugar-free, they're putting in other substitutes, right, for these sugars. And these substitutes that they put in, there, there's, a, there's a warning that comes with these things, that overconsumption of these Substitutes can create some lower intestinal discomfort. Some of the reviews of sugar-free gummy bears. Don't eat more than 15 at a time unless you want to power wash your intestines. (laughs) If you need a bootleg colon cleanse, these are great. The stuff that was coming out of me, I ate at my wedding in 2005. (laughs) I get on to my kids for bathroom humor, but adults like it too. Uh, Duolingo, that is a, a, a language application, says that after you're, learning, you're done learning Spanish, they will give you a free promotion so you can learn Klingon as well. So that's encouraging. Sam's Club, free sample Saturdays. Come on, people. You can feed a family of six at free sample Saturdays. I've heard. I don't know personally. Here's the thing. Sam's is great. I understand having a consumer mentality, but a consumer mentality does not work at all with the kingdom of God. It's an exact contrast to it. A consumer mentality doesn't work around the local body of believers. It doesn't work around church. Having a consumer mentality doesn't work with the vision that God has given us to reach the state of Arkansas. It doesn't work. But a lot of us have a consumer mentality when it comes to church. You wake up Sunday morning, it's like, oh man, there's a 30% chance it's going to rain today. I don't know if I can risk it. I mean, I get up there, I'd have to. Not even the whole parking lot's paved yet. What if I have to get some mud on my shoes? That rain's going to make my hair all frizzy. I go to church, but I'm mad at them because last week they ran out of free coffee and I didn't get any. I hate those people. I'd go to church, but you pull in the parking lot and it's like a car chase scene out of one of them Jason Bourne movies. They need to get more people to help with the parking. Somebody should step up and help them. They need to smile more. 
Well, the car in front of you just flipped them off and cussed them out, and so maybe that's the reason why they don't have a big smile on their face. Consumer mentality does not work around the kingdom of God. But I think that a lot of us have bought into the lie that it's better to be served than it is to serve. We like the idea of it. It's better to have followers than to follow. Maybe, maybe the reason why we have a limited view of who Jesus is is because we've put some conditions on him. Like what we want from him. We, we live in a culture, okay, another example of consumerism, like terms and conditions. Okay, so, you know, you got your phone, your new phone, you got your update. You got terms of conditions about your update. Raise your hand if you've ever read through the terms and conditions on an update. Okay, we're praying for her and for her. <laughs> the altar will be open after the service. No, I think that's amazing. None of us do. Why? Because we don't care. Except... I don't care about the terms and conditions. I care about what's behind the terms of conditions. I want what I want. I want to be served. And I think some of the people that were there, they're like, man, I want Jesus, but I don't want the terms and conditions of relationship with him. I just want the benefit. Heal me, save me, give me a miracle. But they're not interested in the terms and conditions of how we walk in the fullness of the life that he came to give us. And we live any way that we want to live and with whoever we want to live in. And we don't care about the sanctity of things like marriage. The things that he said, man, these are important things. And if you don't live by these things, it's hurting you. It's not hurting me. It's hurting you. But maybe we don't like the terms and conditions. So we put our own terms and conditions on him. What we expect him to look like. And we all live in this place because we love instant gratification. We're not interested in God's timing. We like our timing. We think our timing, we got it figured out. We know what's best for us. So it's instant gratification. That's the reason why we post stuff on Facebook about politics and all these other things. It's because we want the comments. We crave the comments. We love it when our newsfeed is blown up with people saying stuff and starting arguments and going back and forth. But at the end of the day, it's not helping anything. It's just adding to the noise. It's just adding to the noise. It's not solving anything. It's not, you're not changing anyone's mind. You haven't changed anyone's mind. You've made them that more resolute in where they stand and how they feel and what they think. Because you don't know their heart. You don't know where they're coming from. There were people who believed in who he was, but they only liked it when he was doing what they liked him to do. And sometimes we have God on a contract too with our own terms and conditions. After Jesus gets done riding through the streets, something happens that puts it all into perspective. Like what's really important. It says in Luke 19.41, when he got to the city and the city came into view, he wept over it. There's two times in scripture it says that Jesus wept. One is when his best friend died. And most of that was because, not because he was getting ready to raise him from the dead. But he was mighty the crying because he saw, saw these people around him that were still weeping like they had no hope. And he was right there. I think that was what was breaking his heart the most. 
Not just that his best friend died, but now he's weeping again. He's weeping over the city. Why? Why was Jesus crying about Jerusalem? Because he was hurting deeply for the very people that were getting ready to hurt him deeply. I think the reason why Jesus cried is because he could see through the space of time and over oceans, and he could see me and you. And he could see our sin, and he could see our brokenness. He could see what what we would be trapped in, what we would live in, and it broke his heart because he was full of compassion. And so he's weeping. Jesus knew that people weren't going to be able to see him on Palm Sunday. He already knew that. He knew that. He knew that they wouldn't accept him for who he truly came to be. It was prophesied 700 years earlier exactly what would happen. It says in Isaiah 56 through 7, I offered my back to those who would beat me, my cheeks to those who would pull my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. I know I will not be put to shame. What does that mean? It means he was resolute. It means that he knew that he was going to face opposition. He knew that it, it was, he was going to be rejected. And it didn't matter because something mattered more than everything that was happening around him on that Palm Sunday. Something mattered more than everything that he was going to go through. All the pain and all the suffering. He knew that he was going to have the Last Supper. He knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew his disciples were going to flee from him and abandon him. He knew he was going to be arrested illegally. He knew he was going to be tried illegally. He knew he was going to be beaten and scourged and mocked and spit on and embarrassed and humiliated and killed on a cross. And something mattered more. And it was me. And it was you. And it was souls. And Jesus wept over souls. And so if you don't know who, why we exist as a church, we don't exist as, exist as a church because we thought, man, we could get some really good worship. We could build a big building. We could have a lot of people attend. The reason why we exist as a church is so that you can bring your friends in so they might become fully devoted followers of Christ. That's why we exist as a church. The first core value that we have as a church is we believe in the value of a soul. So why we exist is for souls, period, period. Next week, we're going to celebrate Easter. There's going to be a lot of pastels. You know, dress your kids up, dress them up. Dress those little boys up and their suspenders and their bow ties. Every adult that dresses that way, we make fun of you behind your back, but... But dress your kids up. Make those boys look handsome. Put those pretty dresses on those girls. Make your husbands wear stuff that they would never wear if they had a choice of their own. Do all that. But understand this, that when you come to church and our worship is a little bit different, and back in in our kids' area, we're going to have essentially a traveling petting zoo that's going to go to every class with baby goats. (laughs) Have you seen them? and bunnies and other little animals that your kids are going to be able to pet if they want to. Understand that when you see all of that, it's not for entertainment. It's because we were hoping maybe a kid is going to go to school this week and say, hey, at my church this next week, at my church, they're going to have 
baby goats. So cute. We can pet him. You got to come to church with me. You got to come to church. We can't miss church. We got to be a church. We can't miss it. Why? Because souls matter. And we will do anything short of sin to reach him. That's what motivates us. And our faces will be set like flint for the purpose of souls, for eternity, for kingdom. Jesus' commitment to souls kept him focused. And that is a thing that will keep us focused as well. 2 Corinthians 8.12 says this, Once the commitment is clear, do what you can't, or do what you can, not what you can't. The heart regulates the hands. Whatever your heart is committed to will ultimately dictate what you do with your hands. Make your commitment. Make your commitment. But don't let Easter be a drive-by Sunday. Don't let Easter be a time when you're trying to see Jesus for you, for what you want, what you're desiring. But see what Jesus saw and be motivated by it. Because he saw souls. That's what motivated him. That's what he set his face towards. Can you see people around you the same way Jesus did and does? Can you see him? Can you see the need? Because every single one of them has an inherent need for a savior and for a relationship with God. And so we're asking you to do what we can't do and then we will do what you can't do. What we can't do is we can't work where you work. We don't live where you live. We don't have the neighbors that you have. But if you will be bold enough to walk across the street, across the store, across the hall, across the parking lot, and give an invitation and bring them into God's house. We will do what you do not want to do, and that's stand here on stage and communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or what you can't do, sing a lick. Play an instrument. Do what you can do, and I promise we will present the gospel as in compelling of a way as we possibly can. Please make Easter what it is about. Amen? There's something that is so much more important than good eyesight, and that is the right vision. Please have kingdom vision with us. Have kingdom vision with us. See the souls of our city and community and understand that eternity is at stake. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. There are some of you that are here today that Jesus has passed by you at different times and different points in your life. and you didn't see him for who he is. And I want to give you an opportunity because I believe that he's trying to show himself to you. 
for who he really is. And that is, as a humble servant who came and lived a sinless life and offered himself up without hesitation. Gave his life for you. He didn't just die. He died the most brutal death that any human has ever experienced. And he did it for you. He didn't just die. He defeated your sin. He defeated death. He defeated the grave. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He said he's going to prepare a place for every person who calls on him as Lord and Savior. And someday we get to go to be with him. But if you've never seen Jesus for who he is, and today you're ready to surrender your life to him, to make him your Lord and Savior, or maybe you need to come back to him, rededicate your life to him, I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm not going to ask you to even raise your hand today. But the Lord knows exactly where you're at and he knows your heart. And if you're there and in that place, I'd encourage you at one point or another, you need to go public with this decision. And in two weeks, we're going to have a baptism service and that's the best time that you can do that. The word says if you believe, in your heart and you confess with your mouth then you'll be saved and so you need to tell people tell somebody about this decision but right there in your chair just talk to God you don't have to say exactly this but something along these lines just say Jesus I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I can't save myself but I believe that you came and you died on the cross you paid the price for my sin And right now I ask for your forgiveness. And I turn away from my sin. I turn away from living the way I've been living, the way the world wants me to live. I want to live according to your will and to your purpose. And I surrender my life to you as my Lord. I want you to have control. And I invite you into every area of my life. Be at the center be at the middle, be my motivation, be the thing that gets me up in the morning. Be in the middle of my finances, be in the middle of every relationship that I have. I surrender the control of my time and my plan and my purpose to your plan and your purpose and your time. Help me to live for you. God, let us be a church with the right focus, the right vision, to see things the way you see them. We don't want to be far-sighted or nearsighted. We want to be God-sighted. Your kingdom. We thank you for that. We thank you for the privilege, the honor, and the responsibility that you've given us. We didn't get saved and then left. We got saved and then we were given a job. And the job is there's other people that need you. 
let us be your hands and feet. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's all stand together. We're going to take communion as a family this morning.